This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Not here, not. You are now about to start recording to hear when you are finished. Okay, we're good. Good? Okay, so this week we're going to look at a Mishnah that's connected to the Mishnah that we learned two weeks ago. And then we're going to tell you a story, I believe it's with Ramesha Feinstein. Okay, let's, let's learn the Mishnah. Hillel Omer, Pekiyavos, Perikshani, Mishnah Hay. Hillel Omer, Al Tifroish, Menat Sibor. Do not separate yourself when, um, when Sibor needs your help. Don't say, well, I don't agree, uh, I have a different opinion. If the tzibur is collecting money for someone for tzedakah and everyone's giving, you should give. If the tzibur feels that this person should be welcomed into your community, then you, you can't say, well, I, I, I'll tell you don't separate yourself from the tzibur. Don't be so sure of yourself till the day you die. In other words, Never be sure yourself. I always hear people say, tell me that. I am so sure. I'm like, don't be so sure. Okay? Um, you think he beat the Eight Sahara? He comes from behind and he gets you. The, the, in the war, when there used to be a war, most of the casualties happened when the shooting stopped. You have to pick your heads up, boom. But when they were shooting, when they were shooting, you knew it was shooting at you, so you put your head down. So Yitzhahara sometimes makes you feel very comfortable. Oh, you got me beat, man. Oh, wow, you're so strong, Yitzhahara. Wow. You know, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. You're like, hey, I, I overcame my Yitzhahara. And then he catches you by surprise, and you're not ready for him. So, don't be so sure of yourself. Never judge another Jew, or the person, until you're in his place. And anyone who ever took physics in college knows that the first theory of physics is no two objects occupy the same space. Right? You can't have two things in one space, no matter how small the space is. So the mission is trying to tell you, you can't judge someone else until you're in their space. But according to physics, you can never be in their space. Yeah, that's right. You're never allowed to judge another person. I have a crazy story about this, but I can't say it. <laughs> After the sheer... After the share, I'll tell you the story. <laughs> but you're not going to you're not going to be able to stay here for this story. It's like an older guy or whatever. Crazy story. How you can be so chayshim and you can be so wrong. Just remind me after the share when, when it's off. Now everybody's watching the share. You see, <laughs> if you would be at the share, you would hear it. But you want to sit home, have a coffee, and turn on Torah anytime, turn off on Torah anytime. <laughs> Sit back on your couch and watch Torah anytime. You don't get the tidbits that they're going to get after this year today. So come down to East 15th Street to Oro Yitzchak. Sometime between 10 and 11, Rawalski will get there. He'll get there sometime. Tonight I had graduation, my, my BCA graduated. We graduated 12 girls. Shifted, well, I don't know if it was shifted car exactly, but, um, so that's why. So, and each one got up and spoke. So when you go to regular graduation, valedictorian, salutatorian, Hebrew, English, there's four speeches. We had 12, can I know her? Plus me, plus the rabbi, plus everyone. Okay. All right. Anyway, you can't judge someone else, period. 
That's it. You can't trust someone else. Don't don't say right that um, two things. It means another one when you do say something, make sure it's clear so that person understands it. But also, don't think you can tell secrets because in the end, all secrets will be told. This is talking to people who procrastinate. Right, you push things off. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Right. Don't say when I get a chance I'll do it. Shem Who says you're going to live again? Who says you're going to make it to that point that you're going to do it? You got to do it on the spot. One of the things that the Yitzhara does a lot of is do it later. Do it later and then it never gets done. Okay. What's the common D, the common D, the common D, common denominator in all these different things that the Mishnah says you shouldn't do, the Hill says you shouldn't do? Right? The common denominator is that we develop what we call, I don't know how to say this word in English, shitas. My shita. How do you say shita in English? Opinion. It's more than an opinion. Okay, my opinion, I guess. Alright. I have a shita. Sometimes I go collecting money for my girl's school. I walk into the guy. I'm like, hi. He says, um, so what are you collecting for? I'm like, um, well, it's girls, you know, at risk and stuff like that. I have a shita. I only give you shivas. Finished. <laughs> I, have yesh- I have a shita. I don't give any yeshivas. I don't like yeshivas. I only give kids at risk. I have a shita. I only give sick kids. I have a shita. I only give food. Everybody has shitas. By the way, poor people have no shitas. Only rich people. Successful people. You ever hear a poor people tell you I have a shita? The guy who's successful. Oh, I made money. I'm smart. They have shitas in everything. What you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, how you should exercise. Shita, 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 shita. This guy, who's mafishman at Sibor, it's like, ah, they don't know what they're doing. I, 900 out of nine, you're 900 for, they don't, I have a shita. Tifishman at Sibor. I'm not following everyone else like a bunch of sheep. I have a shita. Right? Okay, once you have a shita, then, right? Once you have a shita, then you believe in yourself. Cause, cause I, I know what I'm doing, right? It's a cute story. I went to this guy a few years ago and, um, I sat down and he said, what do you do? He was really interested in what you do. I told him what I do, teaching girls and I have a high school and I have this and I have that and a dorm and a house and And this girl sometimes he says, I, I hear what you're doing. I hear what you're doing. I don't know if I agree with it. I think that maybe if you don't have such a place for girls, then there won't be such girls. I'm like, huh? Did you ever? You ever like? Are you a chenuch? <laughs> this guy's in real estate. No, he actually is in nursing homes, right? I'm like, you, you, did you ever teach in a classroom? No. You no. Um, now I happen to know he has no daughters. He has five sons. So I'm like, you don't even have girls, right? What do you know about what you should do for girls? You, you have nursing homes. You know what you should do for people who are old. So I don't come to you and tell you, I'm a shita. You know, <laughs> you, 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 your nursing home is not being run correctly. The beds, you know, maybe you should have bigger beds or smaller beds or, you know, shita is about your nursing home. They always say, what are you not swallow, Steve? You teach. What do you know about my nursing home? Right? 
Never. Yeah. yeah. People are listening. They think you. People are listening. They think you're you're, you're serious. I said something. I said I said something much better. I said I. So, so I said something much better than that. Because I'm a little older than you. You're saying a good vote, but I said something even better. I said, you know, I guess if there would be no hospitals, there'd be no there'd be no accidents. Nobody would be sick. That's my shita. My shita is you open hospitals so people go and they get sick. But if there was no hospitals, nobody's like, sugar, what are you talking about? What? I did tell him that. But the hospital, sure, I told him that. You know me. I said, ah, hello? You get successful? You think you know something. You know nothing. One of the proofs, one of the proofs that Shlomo Amelech says that proves that there's a God. So you think, imagine you came to Shlomo Amelech and you're an atheist. I don't believe in God. Like, you know, prove me God. I don't know. Shlomo Amelech is very wise. Ah, the, the earth has no strings. And it's, it stays up in the air, nothing holding it. And all those planets, there's nothing holding it. Must be a god, right? What is his answer? What is Shlomo Melech's answer to the atheist? You know what he says? Proof that there's a god is that idiots are rich and wise people are poor. That's what, that was his answer. Not the earth, this thing. He says, because if there was no god, the professor in college wouldn't be making $80,000 a year. He'd be making a million dollars. And the students do it, right? I wanted to. I wanted to get an MBA. I wanted to go into business. I wanted to go. To, I wanted. I wanted to go into business, and I wanted to go to college to get a degree. And I told my father, as a Yeshiva, that I want to go to Brooklyn. I want to go to college. I want to get a degree in business. He said, "So who's teaching you business, professor? How much is professor making a year? At that time, sixty-five thousand dollars." My father said, "If he was any good in business, he wouldn't be teaching business. He'd be in business making millions." Like, why would you listen to a man like that? He's not a good businessman. If he's a good businessman, why is he teaching business? Right? If the guy's a super doctor, he's not a professor in, in medical school. He's actually the big surgeon on, you know, Park Avenue. So he was right, my father. My father said, you want to learn business? Come with me. I'll teach you the factory. You'll sit in the, you'll sit in the meetings. Go, if you want to learn business, go with a businessman. Don't go to a professor. He was a very, very famous godless. People aren't going to be happy I'm saying this, but... That's what I'm saying. But anyway, it's godless. Uh, the head of, I think it's the head of, um, what's the coffee company? I don't want to quote that it's him because I'm not sure it's him. Some very rich, successful guy. So, you know, when you give a lot of money to a college, they make they give you a doctorate. Uh, you know, it's an award and they make you like a PhD. So they call you a doctor. So this guy gave a lot of money and they, he got up to speech. They're making him a doctor, whatever, a PhD, a big mice. He gets up. She says, I know that, I think it was Harvard or Columbia, one of these big colleges. She says, I know they're not going to be happy with what I'm about to say. She says, but it's very interesting that the A student teaches the B student how to work for the C student. The professor, the A student, teaches the B student, the kid who's coming to school, how to work for the failure, the guy who owns the company. So the guy who owns the company, he fell through school. I know a few guys like that. They're multi-millionaires. And everyone underneath them went to college and have degrees. And they're making 60, 80 grand a year. This guy's making 20 million. Right? So Shlomo Melos proof that there's a God is that smart people are not always rich. Because if, if there was a God, there was no God, smart people. So this guy, what are you, what, what, what are you talking about here? You know, I have a shita. So don't be so sure of yourself. So the day you die, because Hashem can take all your money away too. And you're not so smart. Don't think you're so smart. Okay? Same guy. What's one of the biggest Yitzhahoras 
of thinking you're it, of having shitas, you start judging on who doesn't have shitas. I'm much smarter than you. I hear guys tell me, Rabbi, I am so smart. It is so lonely on the top of the mountain where I live. <laughs> what do I say? Yeah. I'm so, so I live there alone. I'm like, you know why? Because you're so nasty that everyone who lived up there ran down, ran down the mountain. That's why they're not up there. Not because you're so smart, but you know, like, oh, it's so lonely. I'm, I'm, I'm like so smart. Get over yourself. So she's saying the same thing. So don't start. It's an interesting thing. This I have to tell you. When I stopped watching television, stopped watching movies, stopped reading English books, when I started to grow, all of a sudden I started to judge other people. I started to look at... I was never like that as a, as a kid. I was never like that. You talk by davening. I don't talk by davening, but I wouldn't judge you like you're a Russia, you're this, the Kabayosha says. If you talk by davening, they're going to take your chillis and it's going to go to the sutta. I, didn't, I never did that. And all of a sudden, as I'm growing, like my friends are going to movies. I'm like, ugh, these guys, a bunch of low lives. You know, and when I stopped gambling, I was like, ugh, all these guys who gamble, like what's wrong with them? The guy who stopped smoking, right? All of a sudden, he's judging all his friends. He's like, why can't you stop? And, and you're like, you stink. Don't get into my car with that cigarette. And the guy's like, two weeks ago, you smoked two packs. What are you talking about? I know, but I stopped. Don't get into my car with that cigarette. And, and, and put that out. It smells and stinks. The guy still smells from two weeks ago from his, from his clothing, right? What happens when you become successful? Part of what makes you feel good is being able to criticize people who are not successful. Every guy that I know that lost weight comes over to me and is like, you know, you're not looking good. You need to lose weight. <laughs> the guy used to be 400 pounds, right? He's looking at me and he's telling me, you know, you really, he's Chaya. You, know, you can't control yourself. I mean, come on, Chaya. This guy was, a year ago, was like 370 pounds. He ate the whole cake when we went out. He didn't take a piece of seven layer. He ate the seven layer, the whole thing. And now he's giving me musr. You know, you look fat. You need to start exercising. Because it's sort of like, hey man, I made it. You didn't. So all of a sudden, everyone becomes a coach. And what they stop doing, you stop talking to girls. It's like, you're telling everyone, why are you talking to girls for? It's disgusting. What's wrong with you? You're a balavera. And the guy's looking at you like, okay, so you're a tzaddik. You just stop. Like, what are you doing, right? That, so I went to my rabbi, Rabbi Gamaliel. And I said to Rabbi Gamaliel, I said, Rabbi, I said, Rabbi, this is crazy. I'm not like this. I'm judging everybody who goes to movies. I'm judging everyone who's listening to rock and roll. I mean, I only gave it up a year ago, but I'm like so hard on everybody. Like, he said to me, the Yitzhahara of growth is judging everyone else. As you grow, you look down on everybody else. He said, so there's a Yitzhahara on every platform in your life, whatever you do. So there's a Yitzhahara, let's say, just not to listen to, to, listen, not, to listen to Jewish music. That was the Yitzhahara. You beat them. You made up your kippah, right? I'm just going to listen to Shreki and whatever. I'm just listening to Jewish music. I'm, I'm done with the Gaish music. Then you say, her lost. Nah, 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 nah. Yitzhar says, okay, we're going to do a switch up. Now you're going to start judging everyone. You become critical and miserable and nasty to everyone who's listening to Jewish music. So like Rabbi Gamil said, the Yitzhahara of judging people is the new Yitzhahara that you get once you beat them on what, what, he, what, you, what you're fighting them on. He says, that's, and that's a very hard Yitzhahara. Because if you, it's just something that, that, that a lot of people, and I find this, I'm talking about something very deep right now, and whoever's watching this, if it's a trigger, please excuse me. But I, 
I think so there's a big thing that oh man I'm going to get into trouble for this okay um, but you still missed what I'm going to say after the share so haha um, there's a big there's a feeling out there that that let's say let's say um, a lot of people who go through let's say drugs and they get better they really they don't relapse and they go to rehab and they get better they become drug therapists person who went through a miserable marriage got remarried is in a good place becomes a marriage counselor you, you always want to fix what you went through and you were able to fix so now it's coming from a good place now that I was a drug addict and I went to rehab and now I'm cured so what they all tell me is I want to give back that's the lesson I want to give back to society I got saved I want to give back so I want to become a drug therapist so a lot of drug therapists some of the biggest ones that I've met in Utah and other places actually were druggies or alcoholics so a lot of them are re, you know re, re, whatever, what's the word recovering. recovering so it's very nice and I understand where it's coming from but let me tell you the problem the problem is that if I'm giving you therapy or I'm a Rebbe or a teacher in a classroom that was miserable in school and now I'm a, I, I made it so, so I don't understand why you can't make it. If I made it, so I'm judging you. Yeah, but I made it through the challenges. What's wrong with you, kid? I suffered like you suffered. I went through what you went through. And look what I became in your head. What's with this kid? He's a brat. So you're giving him therapy and you're like, hey, man, first of all, you're going to give him the therapy that you, that helped you, which not, may not help him. So I'm in the plastic bag business, right? So when I first went into the business, so we never we never had a factory, so we never manufactured the bags. We bought them in Israel, wherever we bought them, and then we sold them to the client. So when, when I went into business, so my father was doing. I'm like, Dad, they're going to go straight. What do they need me for? I'm buying it in an Israeli factory or a Chinese factory. I'm selling it to the end user. Why do they need a middleman? So so in the end, they're going to cut me out, go straight to the guy. I'm not going to have any business. So like, why is this a good business? So he explained to me, my father, if you buy, if you, if you're buying from one factory, let's say, let's say the company will, uh, Walmart, go straight to the factory in China. The factory will sell them what they're doing. Because they don't want, they're not going to sell what they're not doing. So Walmart may not always get the best type of bag. Let's say a new bag in Korea somewhere was made. This factory's not going to tell you because that's what I make. I don't make that. So we in the middle, it's not our factory. So I don't owe this factory anything. So I am dealing with 10 factories. So if there's something new or a better price or a different kind of bag, I'm not tied into. So I am interested, actually, I'm not interested in myself because myself is 20 different companies, 20 different factories. I'm interested in the customer. But the factory, if they go direct to the factory, the factory is only interested in selling them what they make. So... What we offer the customer is that I don't know one kind of bag. So sometimes when you get healed from something that you did, so you know what healed you. But it doesn't work for everyone else. I had a neck problem and a back problem. And I went from this guy to this guy. To this. I went to a chiropractor, a very good chiropractor. This guy, Dr. Weber. One adjustment, two adjustments, three adjustments. I'm a new guy. So I'm like, this is how you fix. When your neck hurts you and your back hurts you, you want to get it fixed. 
That's how you fix it. So my best friend back goes out, right? He goes to this doctor, doctor. I'm like, what are you wasting your time? Go to Weber. But it doesn't mean Weber's going to work for him because my back and his back are not the same. And my problem and his problem is not the same. But now I got fixed by Weber. So to me, the only way to get fixed is by Weber. So someone, maybe who didn't go through it, but actually studied 10 different ways of fixing it, maybe better than the guy who went through it who wants to give back. You understand what I'm saying? So, what? No, not always the case. Sometimes, it's, it, 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 sometimes it is better. It's not a... Not a for sure thing, but part of what it says, don't ever be so sure of yourself. Don't, don't ever be, boys, whatever you become, no matter how successful you ever come, always listen to what other people have to say. Because, because you, you can always, from every person, I forgot who said it, from every, from every single person, I was able to learn something. This is all part of this guy. I know better, right? And you shouldn't judge a person until you're in his place. And maybe, and maybe sometimes if you're in his place and you went through the same thing, it may be a different, it may be something else. One of the problems that I find, um, in certain teachers that I deal with is that they have no patience for the kid because they went through it and made it and this kid's not making it. I was also a weak student, but I worked and I did the, did the, did the, and I passed. What's this kid's problem? Now, if I was never a weak student, I'd be much more patient. Because I'm successful, I'm, I'm not happy with people who are not successful. And that's one of the big, big yates of hers when you... Right, but I'm judging. When you stop smoking, when you stop eating, all of a sudden everybody has to stop smoking and stop eating. What is wrong with them? It's just ask any, 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 any guy who stops smoking. All he does is give schmoozes on why you should stop smoking. You're smoking for 30 years. Shut up. You know what I'm saying? But you become the guru because you, it makes you feel better that you were successful. So you want to share that with everyone else, but you can't. But in your mind, it doesn't make sense? It makes sense. No, no, no. It makes sense that, that, just because it works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for the... It's for sure. It's for sure because it works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for someone no, no, no. else. No, no, so, in your mind, you're saying... You're, in your mind, in your mind, if you were successful, then you don't understand why no one else, why this other person is not successful. You can't, no, you can't come from why he's not successful. I was able to stop smoking. I smoked for 30 years. You're smoking for two years. I'm not McConnell that you can't be successful. So you just, you just, whatever. I did it. But until I did it, I was you. But now that I did it, all of a sudden I'm judging my... This is the mission saying. All of a sudden I'm judging everyone. It's, it's tough. It is tough. And, and I tell it to guys all the time because when guys grow, they start criticizing their friends a lot, whatever it is, and their friends push away from them. Just because you did it doesn't mean he can do it. He has different yates of horrors and he has different yates of toys. Whatever. Don't judge him. Even though you really try to help. You, this is something which I'm about to talk very big on. Um, it's not tonight, but... I'm, probably on Tisha B'Av um, in anything that you do with, in relationships the first thing you have to do is remove yourself you have to remove yourself so you can see the other person so you have to think very carefully why am I doing why am I doing this am I doing this to help the other person or am I doing this sort of to show him I did it and you didn't 
I'm, I'm very into that a person needs to know himself. And to know yourself, you have to spend time with yourself. And people just don't do that. They don't spend time with themselves. They don't know, they don't know who they are. And if you, don't know, if, you, if you don't know who you are, how can you have a relationship with me? If you don't have a relationship with me, it's you and me. But if, you don't, if there's no you, then a lot of people have no idea what they are. You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to pull my, my story with the, with the cupcake. You have to pull yourself out of the equation. And when you pull yourself out of the equation, then you can see really the other person. And it's very hard to pull yourself out of the equation if you overcame something and he didn't. You just don't, you just don't understand why he can't and you did. So if you remove yourself, if you go back to who you were, then you could understand because two weeks ago you were smoking. Is it part of pride? It's, yeah, it's part of your gaiva, yeah. Part of your gaiva. 100%. 100%. What? You don't know the cupcake story? I'm not saying, I just said it. I can't, I can't do it. You don't know my famous, most famous story, cupcake story? Who here doesn't, who here knows the cupcake story? This is the story. Okay, Hashem, this is the story. Okay, let's finish the Mishnah though. Uh, this is the biggest story. Oh, another, also part of the Gaiva. I can say whatever I want. Say whatever I want. You know who I am? You know which one I have in the back? You know what kind of car I drive? Huh. But, but other people are going to find out what you're saying. Nah, I don't think I want to say whatever I want. I don't think I want to say. It's all the same Gaiva. Again, people are not successful. Don't, they don't judge other people, poor people. They don't think they're smarter than anyone else. It says in the Mishnah, a rich person's um, test is much bigger than a poor person's test. Guy was tough. Don't say, okay, whenever I get a chance, I'll take care of it. Because it's also Gaiva. Guy was saying, like, I'm going to live another hundred years. I'll do it. I'll do it in twenty years. Who you? Who said you can live another minute? Who are you? So he was talking to this guy who's who's all of us. We all have a little bit of this in us. We all do. Okay. Oh, the cupcake story. A very important story. Okay. So I'm going to get to. My, remind me I have to finish this because okay, let me let me finish this thought and then we'll go to the cupcake story. So so um, she does and she does and she does. And we talked about a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, in the fifth parak about Anche Sidom, and they had their shitas, and they had their rationalization, why they kill people, because they're caught in stuck, you're messing around. Hashem told you you're supposed to be poor, and you're quite, we talked about rationalization. I want to tell you a crazy story about rationalization with Ramesh Feinstein, I believe it's Ramesh Feinstein. So there was a, there was a, um, a very bad man, a very bad Jew, this very bad Jew used to go to the government, Polish government, Russian government, I'm not sure which one. Probably Russian, whatever. I think he lived in Russia. He to the Russian government and he used to tell on all the Jews, this guy's stealing, this Jew's taking cash. He might have got Jews put in jail. He was a Masara. Yassel the Masara. He would tell on all the Jews, he would get them into the biggest trouble. So a Masara is Chayev. Misa, Nidoe, put him in Kares, put him in, I mean, Chayram, whatever. Very disliked person, put a lot of Jews away. Anyway, when he when he was about to die, he called in the Chevra Kadisha and he told them that I realized what I did. And he wrote a will and he wrote 
that when he dies, they should bury him upside down, his face to the floor, instead of up, right? And upside down as a punishment. And they should bury him outside the Beit forest because he, he realized what he did was very wrong and he wants Hashem to forgive him. So those two things will punish him enough that he'll be forgiven for what he did. I'm sorry what I did. I, I realized now at the end of my life, I'm dying. I realized what I did. So do me a favor. I want a kapara. He died the next day. Died the next day. So they got to make a leviah. Of course, everybody hated this man, right? Nobody wanted to come to leviah. Anyway, they came to Ramayisha. I believe it was Ramayisha. And they said, what do we do? He left at Savot. We bury him upside down outside the, outside the, it's like Morris. And he asked us to do it because he wants to do tshuva. So how can we not listen? So that in Shemayim we have to go to Gehenna. And when she said, listen, the halach is, you have to bury your face up. And it's be buried in a Jewish cemetery. I can't break halacha because he decided that that's what he wants to kapara. Bury him face normally in a palace, face up, in a kever, in the Jewish, in the Jewish cemetery. Shemayim was not happy because this guy deserved and they went, they made a Leviah, ten people, said Kaddish, but fine. Two days later, the Russian army shows up. Russian army shows up. I want to talk to the rabbi. Okay? It's Ramosha. I think it was Ramosha. How can I help you? Russian army, Russian police. Um, there was a government worker, you know, Yosela, who used to work for us. And we heard that you Jews disgraced him. And buried him upside down outside the Jewish graveyard. He went ahead. He didn't. He didn't want to do tshuva. He was a Russia till the end. He went ahead and set up that they're going to bury him upside down outside. He told the Russians that the Jews are making a disgrace to the Tsar. That anybody who spe- who gave information to the Tsar has a private punishment. They're going to bury him upside down, and that when you find the Jews that did this, make sure you punish them for me. That's what he left his will with the Russians. So the whole thing he told the Chavadadisha was a setup. The Rabbi Moshe and the rest of them should get into big trouble. Well, he said, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He's buried. And they went to the graveyard. They said he was buried. They opened it up. They said he was buried face up, whatever it was. And it was saved. So the Chavadadisha saved the whole, Chavadadisha, the whole town. They would have ripped it to pieces. They would have burnt them all down. He said, How did you know? Did you have Rucha Kodesh? How did you know that it was a setup? He said, No Rucha Kodesh. No rationalization. Don't rationalize. Halacha is halacha, and you don't break halacha. You're supposed to be buried in, in a grave. You're supposed to be buried face up. You bury him face up. No rationalization. You do what you're supposed to do. And he saved the whole town. What the Ruch HaKodesh? Guy can write whatever he wants as well. We remember to do it in socks. You can say, I'll bury me in socks. You don't bury him in socks. No rationalization. That's what the mission that we learned two weeks ago. person has to do what's correct. Don't try to Because once you rationalize You can be Sodom with a reason You can do the worst things in the world I've heard the craziest stories, right? The people did the worst things in the world And they rationalized Yeah We made a minion in the casino So We're good We're not in the casino Made a minion in the pit You know We worked Kedusha We took the Nitzayt Out of the Out of the casino And we made it We made it Kaddish No Alright Big story so, um, and then we'll end with, with the Pasha. So, this is a true story that happened with me. I, I, I'm sure I told you. I didn't tell you. So, this is true. This is, this is what we're talking about before. So, I'm a Rebbe in eighth grade 
in eighth grade yeshiva. I was in Crown Heights yeshiva for thirty years. I was the kind of rebbe that took my kids to baseball games. I took my class every Friday. We played tackle football. I took them to my house for Shabbos. I took them out to eat at least once a week, twice a week. Fed them. I was that kind of rebbe where me and my boys were inseparable, inseparable. My guys. Every morning, every morning on my way to school, I would go stop and buy three, four boxes of Antamin cream-filled cupcakes. The best. 50, I stopped eating Kolovaka at 50, but I remember those cupcakes. The best. The top chocolate, you just peeled the chocolate, it came right off. Forget about it. Okay. Anyway, so every kid got one. Every kid got one. And I would give it out after davening in the classroom, and, and they would eat it. They didn't wait. But me... I didn't eat that in the morning. I looked forward to have it by lunch with a coffee or a tea. That was my cupcake. One day, and my cupcake was always on my desk. I, I would give out the well, then throw out the box, and I had one cupcake left. One day, I go down to recess at eleven o'clock. Eleven fifteen, we come up from recess. Cupcake's gone. What's left on my desk? Just the paper. So the kid took the cupcake out of the paper and ate it and left the paper on my desk. Not only did he steal the cupcake, but he left the paper on my desk. This was 20 years ago. I was a, 25 years ago. I was a young guy, hot blood. I sat down. I said to the class, I just want to understand whoever took this cupcake, I just want to, you know, I give you everything, everything. You know that I enjoy this with my tea or coffee by lunchtime. What was going through whatever, you were, whatever the mind of the kid is? What, I want to understand. You came up to my desk. You looked at the cupcake. It's Rebbe's cupcake. What's the process? I don't care. Too bad. I'll buy one tomorrow. What, what's the process? Of course, no one's going to raise their hand they took my cupcake because I'm going to kill them. So I'm like, okay, here's the deal, boys. Until someone tells me he took it, I don't want someone to rat on someone else. No one saw the guy who took it anyway, but until the kid admits it, this class has no recess for the rest of the year. I don't care. Six months, nine months, and I will not buy another cupcake until the guy who took it admits it. So everyone's looking around. Whoever did it, you better admit it, because they're not going to even have recess for anything. Recess is Kurdish Kedoshim. Okay. After lunch, we bench. I come upstairs. The bell rings. Going to my car. Kid walks out with me by the car. Grab me. Rebbe, I'm so sorry it was me. I'm looking at this kid now. Not only was this a kid in my class, but this was the kid that I did the most for my whole life. Not my whole life, but that year, for sure. He won a bicycle. I gave him a bicycle. Oh, like a 20-speed bicycle he won in my class. I did everything for this kid. I'm looking at this kid. He's telling me he took my cupcake. So I said to him... You realize that you took your... I went crazy. I went crazy. My tackle went crazy. Right? I said, you took your hand? You put it down my throat? Into my stomach? And you ripped the cupcake out? What's wrong with you? And you left the paper? What, in my face? Like, you couldn't throw away the paper? I said, you cannot come back to my class. Because there's a halacha. Right? I, had, I, had to, I had to rationalize. Right? There's a halacha in the Rambam. You're not allowed to teach. Talmud Torah, you're not allowed to teach in a class. You're not allowed to teach if you don't like someone. In other words, if you don't like a kid in your class, 
Halachas, you're not allowed to either leave the class or send them out of the class. You're not allowed to teach someone, like when you do chin, we say, Ba'ahav al kahanim. If someone in shul I don't like, I'm not allowed to do chin. I'm not allowed to go up there. No? It's halacha. Because I say, right? Right, but if there's someone in the in the in the room that I don't love, that I can't say the bracha, the bracha lavatolah. So the crazy allowed to go up. So I had a fight with a guy, and we don't get along. I'm not, I'm not all duking that show. So I'm telling this kid, have a good day because I don't like you anymore. I can't like you if you did something like that. I can't, and I'm not to teach you. So go to seventh grade. It was like four months left to school. I said, I can't teach you anymore, but you'll come back the last week of school. I promise you I'll graduate you. I'm not holding you back from graduation. I can't look at your face. I'm done with you. Me and you, over. It's on fire. So I went back upstairs. School's over. I mean, Hebrew was over. I went back upstairs. Went to the principal. I said, Robert Goldstein, this guy, so-and-so, for the rest of the year, seventh grade. I'm leaving him back. I never in my life left a kid back forever. I whatever I gave him marks, right? It was supposed to be a forty-eight. I, I was became dyslexic and I wrote eighty-four. I took care of all my kids that they did very well in school. He got a fifty-nine. His report card he got a ninety-five. One time he asked me, "I don't understand where I was." This, this kid, this kid, his average is fifty-nine. I'm like, what did I write? He wrote ninety-five. Oh my dyslexia! Always flipping those numbers around. Anyway. So, no, the guy who got the 95 didn't get a 59. That was his kasha on me. If he's dyslexic, then the 95 should be a 59. I understand why the 59 is a 95. If he's dyslexic, ah! It was, I said it's partial dyslexia. Partial dyslexia. Selective dyslexia. Anyway, I'm done with this guy. I come home, and my wife sees I'm like, first of all, the, the rabbi didn't know what hit him. Because when he said, why'd you throw him out? I said, he ate my cupcake. <laughs> and my Goldstein looked at me like he what? I'm like he ate my cupcake he's not coming back to my class now Giza did the crazy stuff I never threw them out but this kid ate my cupcake you're done have a good day I come home my wife sees I'm off the wall I am so upset where's that cross the toy these are coffee toys can a kid do this I don't understand I don't want to teach no more you give this kid everything he ate my cupcake and he probably ate it slowly <laughs> Like, what was he thinking? It kept bothering me because I'm like, you know, I think, what was he thinking? Like, what do you think? What's your process? I asked him that. I said, what's your process? Why are you eating? It's like, it's red. Like, what are you thinking? He said, I wasn't thinking. Okay, great. Right, but everyone's thinking. Anyway, like, were you thinking you're going to give it back to me? You're going to buy me a box? Like, what are you thinking? Okay. I come home. I am off the wall. My wife says to me, what happened in school today? I'm like, you would not understand she goes, no, what happened in school? Like, he ate my cupcake. My wife says, he what? He ate my cupcake. She's like laughing, like, so? I'm like, no, you don't understand, SD. I came upstairs after recess, and he ate my cupcake. And she's just not getting it. She's not getting it. I'm like, you don't understand. He's not your student. You didn't give your whole life to him. And I didn't give her all the mustache she was in. She's looking at me like, my husband just went cracked up over a cupcake. Like, she said, go buy a box of cupcakes. We're sugar now. What are you getting crazy for? No, it's him. It's a day, 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 day. I was crazy. So she looks at me, my wife. She says, okay, calm down. I want to ask you something. She said, let's say the story was different. You came up from recess and 
your cupcake was on the desk, no problem. But Chaim, another boy in your class, Chaim, his cupcake was gone. He decided not to eat it for breakfast. He left the dish. He came up, and on Chaim's desk is just a paper. And Chaim says, Rabbi, somebody had my cupcake. I left the paper. I probably would have laughed. That's really funny, whoever did that. He left the paper. That's pretty cute. <laughs> right? He wanted to make sure that you don't think you ate it and forgot. He wants to make sure that you know you didn't eat it. Like in the real Russia. I would have said, what would have I done? I would have found out who did it and I would have made him buy him another cupcake. Well, maybe I would have punished him and made him buy a box of cupcakes. Would you have been angry at him? I said, no, I probably would have thought it was pretty funny that he ate a cupcake while he was at recess. So she said, so why are you going so crazy? Why are you going so nuts? So let me ask you, if another Rebbe came to you and said, I have this class, and I had this kid I did everything for, and I came up and he ate my cupcake, what would you tell that Rebbe? I would tell the Rebbe to find out if the kid gets breakfast. In the morning at home, he was so hungry that he ate the Rebbe's cupcake, could be that he's not starving. So I would find out what's going on. I was like, that's not what you do. You just threw the kid out of your class for the rest of the year. What's going on? So if it was another kid, you'd laugh. If it was another Rebbe would ask you, you'd say, let's check the house. Let's take care of him. Maybe we should buy him food. Who knows, right? Why are you weirding out? Why are you freaking out? I said, why, Esther? Why do you think I'm freaking out? She said, because it's your cupcake. So you take it personally. If it's another kid's cupcake, it's funny. If it's another Rebbe's cupcake, it's we got to check it out. But your cupcake, you took it personal. She said, I promise you, this little boy did not stand there and say, I want to hurt my Rebbe. I'm going to eat his cupcake. That's not what he said. So you have to separate yourself. This is what I was telling you. You have to take you out of the situation so when I took me out of the situation and it's another Rebbe telling me it happened to him check out see if the kid's hungry it happened to another kid in my class that's funny we'll get him another cupcake but when I'm in the situation and he did it to me I'm off the wall it's a whole different judgment and I learned from that from that day on my whole life changed in Chinuch my whole life changed with my kids my whole life changed with my wife. My whole life changed with every relationship. Because when someone hurts you, when someone does something, when you, when you tell your kid to be home at 11 and they show up at 12.30, you freak out. I'm not letting go anymore. I'm not giving you the car. I'm locking. You're on lockdown. You're on this down. You're on, you're on home pass. You're on, going crazy. But if your friend called you and said, listen, my daughter is supposed to come in at 11. Rabbi Wallstein, I need some... Some chinuch uh, coaching. She's supposed to come in at 11. She came in at 2. What should I do? I would not say go crazy. I would say, let's find out where she was. You know, maybe maybe change it to 11.30. When she has to be home. But she did it to me. You know, she took my car without permission. Ah! When you take you out of the thing, all of a sudden, you realize your wife, you told her to be here at 7. She showed up at 7.30. Why are you freaking out? She didn't do it. She didn't say, I want to aggravate my mother. Then you have a right to freak out. She just... So she gets ready. It takes a long time. So all of a sudden, you're in relationships. It's probably the greatest, the greatest lesson I've ever learned. Remove yourself. Look at it as a third person. Your whole judgment will change 100% drastically. Drastically. In any relationship. Whether it's father, son, son, father, 
husband, wife, whatever it was. So I went back the next day. True story. I went back the next day. I brought him into the class. And I apologized publicly because I was screaming at him in front of everyone. I said, I'm really sorry. You did something very wrong. And I'm not apologizing for what you did wrong. I'm apologizing for my reaction. And I didn't let him have cupcakes for a month. No, because he did something wrong. There has, to, there has to be a consequence. But at the same time, I left him in my class. I told him, I love you. I know you didn't do it to hurt me. But Lamaisha, you can't steal things from people. So you have to know what it feels like. But that's such... And you never heard this? It's, the most, it's like the most important story in the world. Because if you live your life like that, in relationships, you become a different person. One of the coaching things that I saw somewhere which freaked me out totally... Um, so they're having a whole thing on anger and they're saying that if you name the person and what they are to you before you scream you will not be able to scream because when I scream let's say I have a son Chaim right and I'm angry at him so when I say Chaim get out of here I can't believe what you just did right me Chaim I'm not removing myself when I say my son Chaim I can't yell Put the person in front of your wife. You want to, my wife, Esty. Esty, what are you doing? I'm waiting. My wife, Esty, you can't yell. Try it. You try it at home. Make you crazy. When you name the person and their relationship to you before you want to get angry, it don't happen. You can't yell like that. Don't do it in here, but you do it at home. You'll see it's weird. It's weird. Even if you, if you don't have a son, you try to say that. It doesn't go. It doesn't go. If you say, Chaim. You yell your brains out when you say my son, my wife, my Rebbe, my student, my Talmud in school. If a Rebbe would say my Talmud, my she, his whole reaction after that be totally different. Why? Because it's not about him anymore. He removed himself. It's about his Talmud, my she. It really works. I was freaked out. I was in this symposium. I'm like, come on, that doesn't work. And I went to my room. I was in a hotel. I went to my room. I tried to scream. Like, I was like, this is weird. Very weird. I mean, you could if you really work on it, but why would you work on it? It's very weird. Alright, let's end tonight. Anyway, if you come, if you leave tonight with that lesson that I just told you about the cupcakes, you will be a better husband, a better father, you'll be better in everything. Don't take it personally. Most of the time, if the person does it to hurt you, it's a whole different answer. what I'm talking about. But most people do things that are wrong, they don't want to hurt the other, they don't want to hurt the other person. He wasn't, he was, he was eating the cupcake because he was hungry, and eh, Rebbe won't care anyway. I'll pop it down. Why leave the paper there? I don't think he did a lot. I don't think he did. He just left it. He pulled the cupcake out of the thing and ate it. Maybe I walked in at the time. He already had it in his hand. I don't know. I never got into it with him, but I apologize. All right, let's end with this thought. Very big lesson this week's Pasha. Pasha Shlach. The we all know about the Maraglim, right? Okay, listen to this. Woo, this is big. So they come back the Maraglim. Listen to what they say. We came to the land. The Adha on the they're, they're very strong. The 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 huge they live in huge cities. We saw the giants. Amalek in the south. The Shiti Bushimori are in the mountains. The Kananim are by the water. There's no way you're gonna beat all these guys. Right? And Khalid gets up and Khalid says, No, let's go, let's go. And the other ten 
Meraglim that were with Yoshua and Kalev, Omru they said, Lo there's no way we could go up against the other people. Because they're much stronger than we are. Okay? And they started talking, they started talking really bad. All kinds of stuff they're talking about. Now, meanwhile, Christ was standing there. They're not reacting. They're cool. They big, big people, big cities, giants. Everyone's cool. No one's freaking out. No one's crying. No one's yelling. Everyone's good. Okay, they listen to the report. But then they said the following. This is the essence of everything. And there we saw the Nephilim, they were giants, the Malachim that were thrown down from Shemayim. And in our own eyes, we felt like grasshoppers. We felt like little teeny grasshoppers. And in their eyes, we look like grasshoppers. How do you know what you look like in their eyes? They didn't tell you. How can I go and make a report that in the eyes of the giants, I look like a grasshopper? Maybe you look like a tomato. Maybe you look like a turtle. Maybe you look like a cat. Maybe you look like a worm. They came back and said, in the eyes of the giants, and these guys were pretty big guys themselves, right? In the eyes of the giants, we look like Chagovim, like grasshoppers. How do you know what you look like? Because look at the beginning of the Pasek. It says, In our own eyes, we, we felt like grasshoppers. Ah, what you feel is what you project. If you feel you're a loser, then you think that in everyone else's eyes you're a loser. So it's not, it doesn't say in the Pasek that they thought we were, what it should have said is like this. They thought we were grasshoppers, so we felt like grasshoppers. It was the other way. We felt like grasshoppers, so they must have seen us as grasshoppers. What you think of yourself is what you project. But it gets even harder than that, because Rashi says, Rashi says, now why do they make this statement? Rashi says that they heard the giants were talking. Right? We heard the giants talking to each other. There are ants crawling in the grass that look human, that look like people. So if they heard the giants say they're like ants, why are they coming back to the Jews and saying they're like grasshoppers? According to Rashi, they heard, they said, oh, I think there's some ants over there. Why are you coming back to them? Because they, they said, we don't feel like ants. We didn't feel like ants. We feel like grasshoppers. And if that's how you feel about yourself, if you have low self-esteem, then that's what you project to others. So the, how you feel about yourself comes before how other people feel about Everyone thinks that people with low esteem is because everybody puts them down. If you don't feel much about yourself, then, then everyone's going to put you down. So if you think you're a grasshopper, you're a grasshopper. If you think you're a giant, you're a giant. All these teams that win playoff games, who are the underdogs, it's because they believed, and they always said that, I be- we believed in ourselves. You always hear that every time. Anytime a guy wins the Super Bowl and they were, not, they were supposed to lose by 100 points and they win, they will always say the same statement. We, as a team, believed in ourselves. If you believe in yourself, then other people believe in you. That's the way it works. So over here, because they felt like grasshoppers, 
What happened to the Jewish nation when they heard that? They fell apart. Next pasuk. They, they fell apart, they panicked, and they screamed and they cried the whole night. And Hashem said, you cried tonight? Tishavah was Tishavah night. You're going to cry till Mashiach comes. Why? Because how could you think yourself as a grasshopper when you're connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? The biggest insult you can give to God is that if, if, if we, we learned about Moshe's Mateh, we are the stick. The stick, the whole power of the stick is the hand that holds it. So if you say that I'm a grasshopper, that means God's a grasshopper. If God's holding me, he's, I'm the stick, and he's, he's what's holding me, and I feel like a grasshopper, that means Hashem has no power more than a grasshopper. So that's when Kleistel fell apart. They said, our leaders, if our leaders feel like grasshoppers, and project that they're grasshoppers, we're done, we're finished. Have a good day. Those who believe they can win, will win. Those who believe they will lose, will lose. Because that's what happens to you. And it's a very important passage. It's a fascinating passage. Because it should have been the other way around. We heard, we, we, in their eyes, we were grasshoppers, so I feel like grasshoppers. If you keep telling me I'm a grasshopper, I feel like a grasshopper. No. We felt like grasshoppers. Therefore, our projection was that, to them, that we were grasshoppers. And any person who has connected to Akash Baruch Hu, how can you feel like a grasshopper? I'll explain to you what I'm saying. The opposite, you can say, what, Rebbe, you're supposed to be a Bagaiva? You're supposed to think you're a big giant? So how is Moshe Rabbeinu and Anav? you telling me... What? No, no. But, but, okay, but but if I'm not supposed to feel like a grasshopper, I'm supposed to feel like who knows what, that's a Bagaiva. It's a Bagaiva, you're a big shot. Who, who do you think you are? So so the terrorist is like this. The terrorist is like so this. <clears throat> no, you're putting yourself up. No, they, they put themselves down. Right. So, but Lemaisa, it's a hard thing to understand. You think that Moshe Rabbeinu, so Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest Anav that ever lived and that will ever live, which I think is unfair. I want to be a bigger Anav. You put a cap on me. I can't be a bigger Anav than Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe I could be a bigger Anav than Moshe Rabbeinu. I shouldn't even work on it? And the answer is, how could the Torah make such a statement? How could Hashem make such a statement? Because, what was Moshe Rabbeinu's Anivis? You think Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that his face was glowing? That he didn't know that he went up and lived 40 days with angels? That he split the Yamsuf? That he did Come on. So how could you say that Moshe Rabbeinu was the most modest person that ever lived? And the answer is that Moshe Rabbeinu knew all that stuff, but compared to Hashem, he was nothing. That's the Anivis. And being that he was the closest to Hashem, right? Being that he got the closest to Hashem, he became the smallest. What do I mean? If you go outside now, there's a moon, say a full moon, and you put your hand up, you can cover the whole moon. Kids think that their hand's bigger than the sun. Sun's in their eyes, they put their hand on, I'm like, wow, sun must be very small, right? You go outside, you can put, you, all of us, we put our hand up, we block the sun, right? We want to see something, we block the sun. The sun's 92 million miles in, in, in diameter, 92 million miles in diameter. Your hand's six inches in diameter, eight inches, what's going on? So the answer is, the further away you go, the further away you go, the smaller the object becomes. So when I'm so far, 90, it might be 92 miles away, but I'm so far away from the sun, I can cover it up. As we, if we took a rocket ship, as we get closer to the sun, we get smaller and smaller, your hand ain't covering nothing anymore. And if we put you into the sun, you're not even a speck. When was the closest to Hashem of any human being that lived. So therefore he was the smallest.
So he knew what he did, but the closer you get to Hashem, the smaller you are. So when a rub walks into a chuppah at a wedding and everybody stands up, you think he doesn't know that he stood up? How can you be an honor? Right? To me, they stand up and then they say, Rishashiva or Nava. What's that? Rishashiva of, of a girl's program? You know, so get over yourself, Wallerstein. You know what I mean? Like, ah, everybody stood up and like, Lakovid, Rishashiva, Rishashiva of uh, Ornava. Oh, wow. Must be giving smicha. Like, wow. Right? So, you, but, but Lamaisa, you walk in, people stand up. Like, you don't know that? So, what do you mean? How can they be an honor? And the answer is, you're not standing up for me. You're standing up for the Torah that I represent. So I'm the nothing. I'm just, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the can do it. I'm the can that's holding the soda. That's it. That was my Shabbenu. And the closer you get, the closer you get. So the, the closer you get to Hashem, the smaller you become. No matter how great you are, the smaller you become. So Moshe, nobody ever spoke to Hashem Pelopeh. So he, the Torah can say, no one's ever going to get that close. So if no one's going to ever get that close, no one's going to get that small. The closer you get, the smaller you get. So I brought it to everyone here is no more grasshoppers. Especially when it comes to comparison with the outside world. And we are less than grasshoppers. We're nothing without Hashem. But with Hashem, we're everything. We should be all be zaycha to, to go inside ourselves and see our greatness. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.